64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor S.F. Walker. I'm here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series every week as I read another amazing title. I share it with the world. Today, we look at In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction by Dr. Gabor Mate. In this video, we take a holistic and a compassionate approach to addiction, whether to alcohol, drugs, sex, money, or anything self-destructive not as a discrete phenomenon confined to a weak-willed few, but as a continuum that runs through and even underpins our society, not as a medical condition, but rather the result of a complex interplay of personal history, emotional development, and brain chemistry. Stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I haven't used that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management. The disturbing truths about the nature of addiction and its roots in people's early years. Truths that are usually concealed by time and protected by shame, secrecy, and social taboo. The question of why has never been more urgent than now. An opioid overdose crisis rages every three weeks in the United States. As many people die of overdose as did in the 9-11 World Trade Center attacks. Most people now check their smartphones 150 times per day or every six minutes. And young adults are now sending an average of 110 texts per day. 46% of smartphone users now say that their devices are something they couldn't live without a classic sign of addictive dependency. We should be cautious not to confuse the trees for the forest, the manifestation for the underlying process, the symptom for the cause. There are no new disorders here, only new targets for the universal and age-old addiction process, new forms of escape, the mind and brain processes are the same in all addictions, no matter what form. 
as is the psycho-spiritual emptiness that resides at the core. People who feel good about themselves don't do things that endanger their bodies. Traumatized people feel agitated, restless, tight in the chest. You hate the way you feel. You take drugs in order to stabilize your body. I'm not going to ask you what you were addicted to. I often say to people, nor when, nor for how long. Only whatever your addictive focus, what did it offer you? What did you like about it? What in the short term did it give you that you craved or liked so much? And universally, the answers are, it helped me escape emotional pain, helped me deal with stress, gave me a peace of mind, a sense of connection with others, a sense of control. The first question is not why the addiction, but why the pain? Clinging to identity, which is our way of belonging to a group. And if we identify with the group or any dimension narrower than all humanity, there must then be others who, by definitions, do not belong, and to whom we may believe, at least unconsciously, we are superior. That superiority makes us feel entitled to judge and to remain indifferent. Preventing and healing trauma is a universal issue, not restricted to any one class or any particular ethnic or racial group. There's only one universal addiction process. Its manifestations are multiple, from the gentler to the life-threatening. But in all addictions, it utilizes the same brain circuits of pain relief, reward and motivation, and it imposes the same psychological dynamics of shame and denial, the same behaviors of subterfuge and dishonesty. In all cases, it exacts the price of the peace, harm to relationships, and diminished self-worth. Parent blaming is emotionally unkind and scientifically incorrect. All parents do their best. Only our best is limited by our own unresolved or unconscious trauma. Addictions arise from thwarted love, from our thwarted ability to love children the way they need to be loved, from our thwarted ability to love ourselves and one another in the ways we all need. Opening our hearts is the path to healing addictions, opening our compassion for the pain within ourselves and the pain all around us. No society can understand itself without looking at its shadow side. I believe there's one addiction process, whether it is manifested in the lethal substance dependencies, the frantic self-soothing of overeaters or shopaholics, the obsession of gamblers, sexaholics, and compulsive internet users, or the socially acceptable and even admired behaviors of the 
workaholic, drug addicts are often dismissed and discounted as unworthy of empathy and respect beyond the addict's immediate orgasmic release of the moment, drugs have the power to make the painful tolerable and the humdrum worth living for. Right, like patterns in a tapestry, reoccurring themes emerge in the interviews with addicts. The drug as an emotional anesthetic, as an antidote to a frightful feeling of emptiness is a tonic against fatigue, boredom, alienation, and a sense of personal inadequacy, a stress reliever, and as a social lubricant, and as in Stephen Reed's description, the drug may, if only for a brief instant, open the portals of spiritual transcendence. Dismissing addictions as bad habits or self-destructive behavior comfortably hides their functionality in the life of the addict. It is impossible to understand addiction without asking what relief the addict finds or hopes to find in the drug or the addictive behavior. Far more than a quest for pleasure, chronic substance use is the addict's attempt to escape the stress. From a medical point of view, addicts are actually self-medicating conditions like depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, or even ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Addictions always originate in pain, whether felt openly or hidden in the unconscious. They are emotional anesthetics. The pain pathways in humans are no different. The very same brain centers that interpret and feel physical pain also become activated during the experience of emotional rejection. Our brain scans. They light up in response to social ostracism just as they would when triggered by physically harmful stimuli. When people speak of feeling hurt or having emotional pain, they're not being abstract or poetic, but scientifically quite precise. Intuitively, we all know that it is better to feel than not to feel beyond their energizing subjective charge. Emotions have crucial survival value. They orient us. They interpret the world for us, and they offer us vital information. They tell us what is dangerous and what is benign, what threatens our existence and what will nurture our growth. Imagine how disabled we would be if we could not see or hear or taste or sense heat or cold or physical pain, emotions. Shutdown is similar. Our emotions are indispensable part of our sensory apparatus and an essential part of who we are. The meaning of all addictions could be defined as endeavors at controlling our life experiences with the help of external remedies. Unfortunately, all external means of improving our life experiences are double-edged swords 
they're always good and bad. No external remedy improves our condition without at the same time making it worse. Addictions, even as they resemble normal human yearnings, are more about desire than the attainment. In the addictive mode, the emotional charge is in the pursuit and the acquisition of the desired object, not in the possession and the enjoyment of it. The greatest pleasure is in the momentary satisfaction of yearning. The fundamental addiction is to the fleeting experience of not being addicted. The addicts crave the absence of the craving state. For a brief moment he is liberated from emptiness, from boredom, from lack of meaning, from yearning, from being driven, or from pain. He is free. His enslavement to the external, the substance, the object, or the activity consists of the impossibility in his mind of finding within himself the freedom from longing or from irritability. If only I could have that one, just one more, just one more time, then I could rest satisfied. So runs the illusion, just one more is the binding factor in the circle of suffering, writes the Buddhist monk and teacher Mitham. The denial state, in which contrary to all reason and evidence, you refuse to acknowledge that you're hurting yourself or anyone else. In the denial state, you're completely resistant to asking yourself any questions at all. But if you want to know, look around you. Are you closer to the people you love after your passion has been fulfilled or more isolated? Have you come more truly into who you really are? Or are you left feeling hollow? The difference between passion and addiction is that between a divine spark and a flame that incinerates passion is divine fire. It enlivens and it makes holy. It gives light and it yields inspiration. Passion is generous because it is not ego-driven. Addiction is self-centered. Passion gives and enriches. Addiction is a thief. Passion is a source of truth and enlightenment. Addictive behaviors lead you into darkness. You're more alive when you're passionate and you triumph whether or not you attain your goal. But in an addiction, it requires a specific outcome that feeds the ego. Without that outcome, the ego feels empty and deprived. A consuming passion that you are hopeless to resist, no matter what the consequences, is an addiction. You may even devote your entire life to passion, but it's truly a passion and not an addiction, and then you will do so with freedom, with joy, and with full assertion of your truest self and values in addiction. There is no joy, freedom, or assertion. The addict lurks shame-faced in the shadowy corners of her own existence. Addiction is passion's dark simulacrum. And to the naive observer, it is a perfect mimic. It resembles passion in its urgency and in the promise of fulfillment. But its gifts are illusory. 
It is a black hole. The more you offer it, the more it demands. Unlike passion, its alchemy does not create new elements from old. It only degrades what it touches, and it turns into something less, something cheaper. Addiction is centrifugal. It sucks energy from you, creating a vacuum of inertia. A passion energizes you, and it enriches your relationships. It empowers you, and it gives strength to others. Passion creates, addiction consumes. First the self, and then the others within its orbit. What then is an addiction? In the words of a consensus statement by addiction experts in 2001, addiction is a chronic neurobiological disease characterized by the behaviors that include one or more of the following. Impaired control over drug use, compulsive use, continued use despite harm and craving. The issue is not the quantity or even the frequency, but the impact. An addict continues to use the drug when evidence strongly demonstrates that the drug is doing significant harm. If users show the pattern of preoccupation and compulsive use repeatedly over time with relapse, addiction can be identified. Helpful as such definitions are, we have to take a broader view to understand addiction fully. There is a fundamental addiction process that can express itself in many ways through many different habits. Addiction is any repeated behavior, substance-related or not, in which a person feels compelled to persist regardless of its negative impact on his life and the lives of others. Addiction involves compulsive engagement with the behavior, a preoccupation with it, impaired control over the behavior, persistence or relapse despite evidence of harm, and dissatisfaction, irritability, intense craving when the object, be it a drug activity or a goal, is not immediately available. Drugs, in short, do not make anyone into an addict, any more than food makes a persona into a compulsive eater. There has to be a pre-existing vulnerability. There also has to be significant stress. But like drugs, external stressors by themselves, no matter how severe, are not enough. Three factors need to coincide for substance addiction to occur. A susceptible organism a drug with addictive potential, and stress. Given the availability of the drugs, individual susceptibility will determine who becomes an addict and who does not. Drug use temporarily changes the brain's internal environment. The high is produced by means of a rapid chemical shift. There are also long-term consequences. Chronic drug use remodels the brain chemical structure, its anatomy, and its physiological functioning. It even alters the way the genes act in the nuclei of brain cells. Among the most insidious consequences to drugs of abuse 
is the vulnerability to craving and relapse after many weeks or even years of abstinence. The enduring nature of this behavioral vulnerability implies long-lasting changes in brain function. Since the brain determines the way we act, these biological changes lead to altered behaviors. The brain circuits of motivation and of reward are recruited to serve addictive behaviors. Consider scientific evidence suggesting that addiction also disrupts the self-regulation circuits which the addicts need in order to choose not to be an addict. We know which brain areas control actions like, say, the rotation of the thumb. If that area of the cortex is destroyed, the thumb doesn't move. The same principle applies to formulating decisions and regulating impulses. They too are governed by specific brain circuits and systems, but in a much more complex and interactive fashion than simple physical movement when certain brain areas are damaged. There are predictable patterns of impaired rational decision-making and diminished impulse regulation. Brain imaging studies and psychological testing indicate that the same areas are also impaired in drug addiction. The human brain is the most complex biological entity in the universe. Many studies link addiction to the orbital frontal cortex, OFC, a cortical segment found near the eyes sockets or orbits. In drug addicts, whether they are intoxicated or not, it does not function normally. The OFC's relationship with addiction arises from its specific role in human behavior and from its abundant supply of opioid and dopamine receptors. It is powerfully affected by drugs, and it powerfully reinforces the drug habit. It also plays an essential supporting role in non-drug addictions. Well-established research and evidence showing that the mammalian brain develops largely under the influence of the environment, rather than according to the strict genetic predetermination. And that is especially the case with the human brain. We, of course, would have trouble accepting the new brain science, and it is understandable given the mind-body separation prevalent in our culture. And, whoa, given too how long, we have been thought that genes determine almost everything about a human being. Personal traits, behavior, eating patterns, and all manner of disease. Despite the thousands of research papers published leading in leading scientific and medical journals, countless monographs and conference documents, and several outstanding academic books on the subject. The role of the environment in brain development is not thought in medical schools. Not only is brain development ignored in medical training, so is human psychological development. The view that genes play a decisive role in the way the person's brain develops has been replaced by a radically different notion. The expression of genetic potentials is, for the most part, contingent on the environment. 
genes do dictate the basic organization, developmental schedule, and anatomical structure of the human central nervous system, but it is left to the environment to sculpt and fine-tune the chemistry, connections, circuits, networks, and systems that determine how well we function. Which connections survive depends largely on input from the environment. Connections and circuits used frequently are strengthened, while unused ones are pruned out. Scientists call this aspect of neural Darwinism synaptic pruning. Through this weeding out of unutilized cells and synapses, the selection of useful connections and the formation of new ones, the specialized circuits of the maturing human brain, emerge. The process is highly specific to each individual person, so much so that not even the brains of the identical twins have the same branching and circuitry. The three environmental conditions absolutely essential to optimal human development are nutrition, physical security, and consistent emotional nurturing. Two identical seeds cultivated under the opposing conditions would yield two different plants, one tall, robust, and fertile, the other stunted, wilted, and unproductive. The second plant is not diseased. It only lacked the conditions required to reach its full potential. The three dominant brain systems of addiction, the opioid attachment reward system, the dopamine-based incentive apparatus, and the self-regulation areas of the prefrontal cortex are all exquisitely fine-tuned by the environment. Stress is a physiological response mounted by an organism when it is confronted with excessive demands on its coping mechanisms, whether biological or psychological. It is an attempt to maintain a biological and chemical stability or homeostasis in the face of these excessive demands. The physiological stress response involves nervous discharges around the body and a release of a cascade of hormones, chiefly adrenaline and cortisol. Virtually every organ is affected, including the heart and the lungs, the muscles, and of course the emotional centers in the brain. Whatever problem we are hoping to resolve or prevent, be it war, terrorism, economic inequality, emergent trouble, climate change, or addiction, the way we see its origins will largely determine our course of action. It is not the activity or the object itself that defines an addiction, but our relationship to whatever is the external focus of our attention or our behavior. Just as it's possible to drink alcohol without being addicted to it, so one can engage in any activity without addiction. Any repeated behavior, substance-related or not, in which a person feels compelled to persist, regardless of its negative impact on its life and the life of others, the distinguishing features of any addictions are compulsion, preoccupation, impaired control, persistence, relapse, and craving.
a person with inadequate self-regulation becomes dependent on the outside things to lift his mood or even calm himself if he experiences too much undirected internal energy. Impulse control is one aspect of self-regulation. Impulses rise up from the lower brain centers and are meant to be permitted or inhibited by the cerebral cortex. What characterizes an addiction, asks a spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle, quite simply this. You no longer feel that you have the power to stop. It seems stronger than you. It also gives you a false sense of pleasure. Pleasure that invariably turns into pain. In short, the addiction process takes hold in people who have suffered dislocation and whose place in the normal human communal context has been disrupted, whether they have been abused or emotionally neglected are inadequately attuned children or peer-oriented teens or members of subcultures, historically subjected to exploitation. To know the true nature of a society, it is not enough to point to its achievements as leaders like to do. We also need to look at its shortcomings. It is a subtle thing, freedom is. It takes effort. It takes attention and focus to not act something like an automaton. Although we do have freedom, we exercise it only when we strive for awareness, when we are conscious, not just of the content of the mind, but also of the mind itself as a process. When not governed by conscious awareness, our mind tends to run on automatic pilot. It is scarcely more free than a computer that performs a pre-programmed task in response to a button being pushed. The distinction between automatic mechanism and conscious free will may be illustrated by the difference between punching a wall with your fist in a fit of reactive rage and mindfully saying to yourself, I have so much anger in me, I really want to punch this wall right now. Or even more consciously, my mind tells me I should punch the wall. The latter, mind, states, give you the option of not striking the wall, without which there is no choice and no freedom, just a fractured hand and a head full of regret. The power to choose exists only when our automatic mental mechanisms are subject to those brain systems that are able to maintain conscious awareness. To expect an addict to give up a drug is like asking the average person to imagine living without all of her social skills, support networks, emotional stability and sense of physical and psychological comfort. Those are the qualities that, in their illusory way, drugs give the addict. Thus, for all the valid reasons we have for wanting the addict to simply just say no, we first need to offer her something to something she can say yes. We are forever desiring and longing, or judging and rejecting mental hygiene consists of noticing the ebb and flow of all those 
automatic grasping or rejecting impulses without being hooked by them. Their attention is directed not only towards what's happening on the outside, but also to what's taking place on the inside. It is not how you feel that counts. It is what you do. Purity and impurity belong to oneself. No one else can purify another. And there you have it, in the realm of hungry ghosts, by Gabor Mate. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So buy it, read, never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, your social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.